as I look in the world and I see people suffering needlessly, it's because they're lost. You know, and again, it's a humbling experience to acknowledge that on some level we're lost, right? Inside and outside don't fit, even to the point where people think it's not supposed to, or it's impossible, or it's a waste of time to even pursue that. I would say I probably was one of those people until I had the experience of actually there is a way to do this. Born in 92 on the block with the sharks, come from a different cloth, y'all would get ripped apart. You want a diamond, then you gotta get it in the dark. We dropping nuggets like Carmelo went to Rucker Park. Now we eating from state to state, we scrape the plate. I put my eggs in a basket, took a leap of faith. I took a chance, now we grow and see the impact. Decoding success with special guests, now let's bring match. Welcome everyone to episode 292 of the Decoding Success Podcast. You're rocking with your host, Matt Labrie, and today we are joined by the legendary NFL running back, Ricky Williams. To summarize, Ricky, with solely that title will be a disservice to him as a human and what he's pursuing, so let me dive into this further. Ricky has devoted his personal life and professional career to inspiring greatness, whether in himself, his teammates, or those around him, even those listening to this podcast. His widely acclaimed football career began at the University of Texas at Austin, where he was named a two-time All-American. Most notably, he played with the Miami Dolphins of the NFL for the span of seven seasons and finished his career with over 10,000 rushing yards and 74 total touchdowns. To note, he was inducted into the College Football Hall of Fame in 2015. Now, Ricky has served numerous suspensions during that tenure in the NFL for the use of marijuana, which has propelled him into numerous wellness brands as an entrepreneur post-playing career. His goal, of course, to empower professional and everyday athletes as well as sports enthusiasts alike through cannabis because he believes in the healing properties of cannabis, which is intertwined with the distinguished football career, and he credits smoking herb as a way of coping with the challenges associated with being a professional athlete, from social anxiety to physical injuries. Now, in this episode, you will learn why we are all lost, but how we can all be found. A conversation with such an accomplished individual on how he felt lost no matter what he accomplished on the outside, but also how he found himself. Why finding yourself, doing the inner work, takes the same amount of toughness, if not more, and courage and grit as the physicality of making it to professional sports and beyond. The importance of men feeling their emotions fully and most most importantly, what happens when we do that? Furthermore, I will add, ladies, this is equally as important, especially in today's modern world, whether for yourself or for the men in your life near and far, why our emotions are our greatest superpower and how we can tap into them to unlock our true greatness. Honestly, so much more in this conversation. Your call to action is simple, and I'm going to keep it as simple as possible. This word, this work, these experiences, the knowledge, everything being amplified to you today through your car, your headphones, your phone, however you're listening to this, it's free. So what we do is ask this, share this, to help us spread this, to make an impact alongside of us. One share on an Instagram story, one share on Twitter, one share in a group chat via text message, one conversation with a friend, it goes a long way. Impact with us by sharing this episode and now, without further ado, we bring to you the legendary Ricky Williams. Ricky, my man, legend. Appreciate you being here. Appreciate the work you're putting out into the world, what you have put out, what you're going to put out. So thank you so much for the time, brother. Oh, of course. Thank you for the appreciation. A hundred percent, man. I mean, first questions first. Like, how are you? Like, what's going on in your life? Like, how are you as a person? Like, inside? Like, what's going on? No, I think, you know, since I retired from football the first time, my whole life kind of 
turned upside down and I realized that deeper purpose is about what I can give back, you know, because I've had a lot of different experiences. And so now my main focus in life is just sharing the wisdom from my experiences. But that's really difficult. A lot of, In sports, a lot of times you'll see retired players try to go into coaching and they struggle because it's one thing to, to have it inside of you, but the ability to express it in a way that other people can receive and benefit from it, it's a whole different skill. And so you know, there's ups and downs in developing any skill. And I think my training as an athlete helped me appreciate that. So, and I learned as an athlete to love and appreciate the ups and downs. And so I'm an entrepreneur, you know, and my definition of a business is really that taking something that you know is valuable and making it viable so other people have access to it. I love that. So let's break this down. I spent a good portion of the day watching you on other shows, reading quotes that you had in articles, whether it be on ESPN or news outlets and whatnot. And one thing that really stood out to me was a quote, and don't quote me verbatim, I just took a quick note. It said that retirement allowed time for you to find yourself, which is essentially what you were just alluding to to an extent. What did that process look like? Like, What did Ricky finding himself look like? Take us through that a little bit. Well, what's implicit in the word find is the first step is you have to acknowledge that you're lost. And I think, you know, it sounds like a scary statement, but my experience is we all are lost because when we start off in this world, the people, the world is telling us who we are and what we're supposed to be. And because we're young and we don't really have a defense against it or any other option, we always go down that path. You know, and eventually, I think part of the initiation of becoming an adult growing up is realizing that although our parents and our culture you know, nourished us and put us on a path, that that path is not our path, but it's helped us learn how to walk a path. And the waking up and finding oneself is once you realize you know how to walk, it's about using that skill to wander off into the forest and find the path that is uniquely ours. And, you know, what society told me was, you know, I'm a good athlete and I have an opportunity to make a lot of money. And there's, you know, everyone wants to to do this thing. And so move in that direction. And so I did. And it taught me how to walk. All the wonderful skills I learned through being a high school, collegiate, professional athlete, wonderful. But then it started to occur to me because internal experience of this is not my path. The external fulfillment was there, but there was no internal fulfillment. And that's when I walked away from the NFL and I got a chance to experiment and explore and wander off into the forest and find my own path. It's like as soon as we hear that call and we wander into the forest, it's inevitable that eventually we'll find our path. But if we don't ever have the courage to wander off in the forest, it's obvious we will never find our path. And so I did. I started try, I started doing the things that I always wanted to do, but I always made excuses why I couldn't, why I shouldn't, or why I won't. I started to do those things. And, and as I did them, I met people, I drew in experiences that gave me the information that I needed. And so the idea of finding oneself is I think we orient ourselves. And I have a two-year-old, and I already see myself starting to train him you know, to do the things that I think are important. And so, and I think if we move too far in that direction, we lose sight of the things that are naturally inherently important to us. And so when I walked away from football and I got to explore those things, I naturally gravitated to the things that brought me joy. And then I started to turn them into skills. That's a beautiful thing. So let's break this down a little bit because instantly my mind goes spiritual based off what you're saying. So for clarity purposes, you're essentially saying like you didn't feel like you were on your path, but if that wasn't your path from a divine perspective, do you not believe that you would have lived a different path? Well, I'm I'm glad you pointed that out. So I think it's more accurate to say that's not my path anymore. 
Okay. No, I think the assumption is that we get on a path and we're supposed to be on that same path our whole lives. But, you know, one path will lead us to the next. But how many times do we see an opening in a different path show up, but we're so focused on this path that we don't even take this seriously or even consider or experiment taking a few steps to see how it feels. And so you make a good point. It's not like we're all on our path, but it's like if you're going up a mountain, okay, there's longer paths that are more difficult and there's shorter paths that are easier. And not that one is better or worse, but you know, I think efficiency in life is being able to find the path that gets me to the goal without exhausting my resources. Because then if my if I get to the point and I still have resources, I can keep going. If I spend all my resources trying to get there, once I get there, because there's always another one, right? It's more difficult for me to get there. How did you find yourself embracing that season of change, especially from an athlete's perspective. I mean, I can't speak on it from a professional athlete's perspective, but I mean, I've had a lot of conversations with Super Bowl champs or Olympic gold medalists, MLB players, NBA players, and we see it often where people might hang on maybe quote unquote too long. Like how did you embrace that season of change and just saying, okay, like on to the next? I'd say cultivating sensitivity. You know, what I mean by that, sensitivity is our ability to be aware of things that we can't always touch and hold and see and explain. You know, that there's vibes or feelings or just intuitions. And in order to receive them and take them seriously requires a level of sensitivity, right? And so another way of saying that is the internal anguish and pain for me was had gotten to a point where I couldn't keep doing the external actions that were generating that pain. And so it became like a deep dive of what is the source of my discontent. And at first I thought there was something wrong with me. And then I realized actually I'm just not on my right path. And I think I was so used, it's the sensitivity to realizing when things are going well, things are going well, doors are opening, okay? That's evidence that you're on the right path. Even difficulties, right? You meet a difficulty and you have this inner confidence that I can overcome this and overcoming this difficulty is going to be meaningful to me, right? Those are indications we're on our path. When we get to the point where there's a difficulty, we're like, I'm not sure if it's really worth it. But sometimes that external voice says, you got to do this. So we force ourselves to do something that's not in our heart. And I, I just think I don't have the ability to do that. I'm too sensitive to what my heart is saying. I can only go off track for so long before some inner alarm goes off and I'm just miserable. Yeah. What were those? uh, So you talk about pain. I'm just curious to know, like from your personal experience, what were the signs of discontent in your life? Yeah, it's similar to what I just said, because we all go through difficult times. And as an athlete, we're trained to feel good, you know, to make the difficult times feel good, at least in our mind, hard work pays off. And it got to the point where that model didn't work anymore. It wasn't worth it. It wasn't worth it because there's always some amount of pain. But for me, the pain had always been tied to some meaningful goal. And once I reached a meaningful goal and the pain was still there, I realized I need to set another meaningful goal so I can find a more meaningful type of struggle or pain to deal with. Yeah, I love this, man. I mean, it leads me to ask because I can go down a million different routes here, but I'm curious to see where you take this. If I ask you, what's a question you wished more people would ask? Like I've seen you on a whole bunch of interviews with Ryan Clark and this one and that. Dude, I mean, you've been interviewed a million and one times, but what's a question you wish more people would ask you? Would ask me. Yeah. Hmm. And how would you answer it? I guess if they ask me what I'm like most passionate, it's a cliche question, but it's very rarely asked what I'm most passionate about or what keeps me up at night or what gets me up fired up in the morning. 
you know, because I would and give you an opportunity it? to to share my passion. So the the specifics, the way it looks specifically is I have Heisman, which is a cannabis lifestyle brand. But my other project, my true passion project is a, something called Lila. It's an app. It's an astrology app is the simple way to say it. But, you know, back in 2004, after I retired from the NFL the first time and I acknowledged I was lost, I met a woman who was into astrology and she sat down and we just talked about my chart for a little bit. And it's not like all the answers immediately like showed up in that conversation, but it, what I walked away from that conversation with was knowing that there's a map, you know? And we have the outer map, right? It's what our parents taught us. It's what we see in the news and in the papers, but none of us, we don't have an inner map. And so as she talked to me, I realized the things that she was talking about from looking at my chart were mapping my internal experience. And at the time I was trying to look for a way to blend my internal experience with my external experience. And I could see, like I said, I could see the external stuff, the internal stuff I was blind to. And so this tool that she, you know, ended up teaching me how to understand is like this flashlight that helps us understand our internal map or ourselves. And as I look in the world and I see people suffering needlessly, it's because they're lost. You know, and again, it's a humbling experience to acknowledge that on some level we're lost, right? Inside and outside don't fit, even to the point where people think it's not supposed to or it's impossible or it's a waste of time to even pursue that. I would say I probably was one of those people until I had the experience of actually there is a way to do this. And so I'm fired up trying to figure out how to, it's sales, but I feel like I'm selling people to themselves, you know, advocating for the soul as I think about it. And so I wake up thinking of how to do this. And first it was just the astrological view, but I realized I have to bring it down to earth and make it applicable. And so in building this app, I started to learn to code a little bit. And so my favorite thing to do is to spend some time taking what I know about astrology and taking what I'm learning about coding and actually creating tools and functions that can help people connect to themselves more deeply. I instantly feel your energy shift when you start talking about that, especially when you just brought up coding, like I saw the way you smiled. So I can clearly tell how passionate you are about it. But before touching on that, I mean, this is man to man here. And the fact that we're having a relatively deep conversation, I mean, I don't know how many fucking minutes we're into this, like 15 minutes. I'm just really curious, you know, when I hear other men talk about astrology or inner work or therapy, and then let alone someone that succeeded at a very high level professionally in sports. Have you ever been surrounded by anyone that's referred to you and what you're interested in on this level as soft or anything of that sort? Mm -mm. I think because the two go together in ways that I don't think we appreciate. I can appreciate because it's the path that I've walked. But the inner work, the therapy, all of that, right, require to do it well requires the kind of toughness and hardness that I developed as a football player. They're intertwined. So after I retired, about six months after I retired, I was in India taking a four-week yoga teacher's training course. And it was like two weeks through, you know, everyone there, there was like 108 people in the class. All of them, 107 of them were complaining, you know? And I was sitting there and I was like, this is training kit, but it's like an internal training kit. You know, it's not external linebackers or safeties I have to pick up on the blitz. It's my internal habits, you know, that are the linebackers I have to pick up and dispose of in order to win the game. But it's the same mechanism. It's just using it on ourselves and for our own inner development, not for the development of blocking, tackling, and running skills. 
a hundred percent. I have to ask you, like every NFL player that I speak with gets into yoga instantly after they retire. Like, what is the deal with that? I mean, Eben Britton, I had Joe Hawley on the show, I mean, a whole bunch of people. Like, why yoga? Like right off the bat. Yeah. So the idea of yoga, it's a meditation technique. So in all meditation techniques, the whole point is to find a single point of focus. So all the scattered rays of the mind can come to focus on one thing. And our training as an athlete has been very similar. We've tried to had to get all of our mind, all the rays of our mind to focus on our bodies how to utilize our bodies, you know, the right techniques. And so when, remember the first time I took a yoga class, I thought this is for girls. 10 minutes into the class, I was like, this is the greatest thing ever because it's that same skill, right? But it's now it's not focused into what we have to make our bodies do that's not good for our bodies. It's how can we make our bodies do things that are good for our bodies. It's utilizing those that same skill set we learned all those times, those hours in the weight room, all those hours on the field, but applying it to our own wellness and our own being, our own healing. Yeah. Now, as a high-performing athlete, have you ever found yourself while doing yoga trying to push, like trying to make sure that you're in this particular movement or this particular hold like and forcing versus like surrendering that's something that i struggled with tremendously when i started doing yoga yeah my first type of yoga i started with was power yoga and so there was okay. a there was a kind of a pushing like celebration of explosiveness and flow at the same time so it was a nice entree and the type of yoga that i really found home is more of a focused, concentrated yoga. And so it helped me find that balance. The people talk about a yoga practice and the practice is actually preparing you for life, you know, is that we, we meet challenges and we have to find that, that sweet spot of bringing enough energy and focus to meet the challenge without going overboard. And so that's what I learned in my yoga practice of try to find that point of tension and to find my place in that point of tension and just being present with the tension, you try to move through it. But if you start to push too much, you just bring more tension. It doesn't work. You know, I'm in a headstand and I'm trying too hard. I'm going to fall over. But if I can find that right place where I, uh, uh, and hold and hold my sense of my peace of mind and my sense of self in that conflict right? Then you see it resolves and you go deeper into the posture. And that's a practice for life. You know, a fight with my wife, a disagreement with a friend, something's going on at work. If I, you know, go into reaction mode, typically I do too much. If I can like stay in the moment, right? And capture myself, right? Ah, I know exactly what to say. I know exactly what to do to move through it. Yeah. A hundred percent. I was just thinking about it last night. I was doing a trauma-informed yoga on YouTube and specifically for the hips. And man, I have the tightest hip flexors in the world. Like it's ridiculous. But man, when you just turn to your breath and you just breathe through it and you feel really damn good after that. You know, it's a nice feeling. So it's the best. And I mean, just like you're saying, like shit arises in life. Like we can't always avoid and we shouldn't avoid, you know, the the instances of conflict and whatnot. But uh, when you turn to that breath, man, it's a powerful thing. Yeah, yeah. And it's Definitely a, a powerful thing. It's comfortable, but if we're not willing to face meaningful challenges, we don't grow. How do we develop the courage to face those meaningful challenges? I mean, I'm going to intertwine that with the question that I was going to ask. I was going to go backwards because I had asked you in regards to two men having this type of conversation. There are still people out in this world that would refer to us and maybe not us, me and you in particular, but just other men in general as soft for going to therapy or turning inward or being emotional or being sensitive and really being in tune with that side of us. You know, you said that it was tough to do that internal work. And I agree with you wholeheartedly. How do we develop the courage to get uncomfortable and to maybe 
do something out of the comfort zone. Mm-hmm. So courage to me is is aligned with passion. And so once we're passionate about something, we don't call it courage, but that's what it actually is. Right? When you're passionate about something, it doesn't even occur to you that you should be afraid. You're more in creative mode of how do I overcome this obstacle? And I think where people use courage, it's the courage to do something that is probably not very good for you. you know? And so I think if being passionate about being a better person, being passionate about being the best you, being passionate about improvement, that's going to give the courage to overcome and face these obstacles. Can you build passion for that? Like, can you build passion for wanting? Yeah. 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 So I think the passion for that is we're born with it and it's built in. But through life, you know, we get told we're not good enough. We're not good enough so many times. We, the passion, it, like it extinguishes. And so what's coming to mind right now is surrounding ourselves with people who inspire us, lights the fire back, you know? And it's that simple. It's just look for someone who inspires you because there's something about that person who inspires you that lights a fire in you. And the more you think about that and question yourself and meditate on why am I so inspired by this person, it's going to activate something inside of us. Absolutely. So I'm curious, I mean, and you can correct me if I'm wrong here, but from what I know, I mean, you started the inner work at a very young age. I, I believe that your family had requested that you went to therapy at a young age. Is that correct? Yeah. I think it was after okay. my after my parents divorced. So I was like six. I remember being a kid and being in the therapist's office. You know, for me, inner work, right? When we say inner, I think one of the easiest ways to access what we're talking about is our feelings, you know? And as men, right, we're taught to put a kibosh on our feelings. And the symbolism in, of feelings is water. So feelings, emotions, they need to be able to flow. And and so the first step of inner work is giving yourself permission to allow, one, to allow yourself to feel what you feel, and then two, to allow those feelings to move. And they move when we find someone who feels safe enough for us to share those feelings. Because if the feelings move, it's like, if they don't move, it's like stagnant water, you know? just gets mosquitoes and just gets nasty, right? When the it can move, there might be some, you know, trees and debris in the river, but if the river keeps moving, eventually it runs clean. And so if we find a, com- a safe and comfortable person and place to, to express those feelings with, we can start to see them and respond to them. And the water will, the feelings will become clearer. So I think we don't realize, yeah. men don't realize, that this is the, the sad part about the soft conversation. As humans, our greatest power are our emotions, right? You hear those stories of the mom who lifts the car because her kid was trapped underneath it, you know? And even football, right? The guys get all up and the emotional energy is what we use to bring to bear on the other team. And if we can't access our whole range of emotions, we handicap ourselves. I, w- I want to touch on something. I mean, I can't speak on this. Once again, I didn't play any professional sports, but being in proximity of energy of a team sport. Like I'm really curious to learn how the expression of energy from teammates impacted the team, like impacted the performance Mm. of the team. Did you ever feel like that was something that you ran into? Of course, of course. You know, I think that's the both the beauty and the biggest, the greatest challenge of team sports is, you know, if we look at evolution, right, we evolved from single celled organisms. And now as the evolution process, we are billion celled organisms. So in the course of growth and evolution, we always attract others. And so the beauty of, and you'll see good coaches, what they're going to preach against over and over and over again is selfishness. Because once you become a team, you become a unit. And a unit has to be able to be selfish enough to develop their skills and talents. But those skills and talents have to go to the larger whole 
the larger team. And so it's a wonderful practice in cooperation, right? Multiple people sharing one vision and all bringing all they have to bear towards that one vision. And when that clicks in, the team buys in, no better feeling. The deepest sense, I'd even call it a spiritual experience. When you hear a lot of retired athletes who play team sports, most of the time you ask them what they miss, right? It's going to be some version of this, okay? It's wonderful to be successful on your own, but when you see how what you're contributing is making something larger successful, again, it's the deepest sense of satisfaction I've ever discovered. But also probably the deepest sense of turmoil I've experienced is when you don't have that, right? Because it becomes poison, you know, because we're all so interconnected, right? If you have one turd, Zach Thomas gave this speech when he came back in to the Dolphins and retired his number there. Is he said, if you have one turd, you know, it stinks up the whole room, right? And so a team, you know, 52 people on the roster, if you have one person who's not bought in, okay, it starts to infect the team. That's no fun. Absolutely. It leads me to ask you, I mean, we don't have control over anyone else other than ourselves, right? And that, that's a hard thing to grasp sometimes. So when it comes to being in proximity of other people's energy, what can we do to be infectious in a positive way to help someone shift? Not from a, oh, I want to change you perspective, but hey, let me influence you to show you the way to get you on board with what the rest of this community, the rest of this team is out here pursuing. You know, to a certain extent, I do think you can control other people's behavior, you know? by the way you respond, okay? Because most people, you know, if you think of what does it mean to be human, if when I I take a look at it seriously, we're just a bundle of habit systems, you know, habitual behavior. We all have an habitual habitual way of behaving and acting. And that habitual way tends to create a habitual response from the other person. That's what keeps the habit going. When someone responds differently, it forces us to break out of that habit, you know? And so, Oh, this is my favorite thing to do. You know, you see the person who has the habitual behavior that draws a habitual response from everyone else. I take pride in giving a, creating a different response because it forces the habit to shift, forces someone to like think differently and respond in a different way. And so I think not getting caught up in other people's dramas, because a lot of the times the habit is someone does something that doesn't work, it's destructive, and other people come and say, don't do that. That just makes the person build up a stronger defense against listening to other people. I try to always honor and appreciate where someone's behavior is coming from, right? And by honoring it, oftentimes they can see for themselves, maybe there's a different way to do this. Here's an example. I was really big into Twitter several years ago, you know? And of course, anytime I would, you know, I'm a philosophical type of guy. And so half of the time I would make a statement, you know, what are you smoking? You're so high, you know, all these, these weed jokes come back, okay? And first, you know, I would get a little butthurt and want to say something back, but I just would ignore it. And then I started to appreciate where people were coming from and I could. And so I would respond in a way agreeing with them agreeing with them okay and a hundred percent of the time when i agreed with them they apologized why did they apologize because as a mirror right i didn't give resistance i just gave a mirror that i could make realize that they were being assholes but if you tell someone they're being an asshole they're going to build up a defense if you just say ha 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 that's funny they're going to what's going to reflect to them is what they sent out they're going to be like that didn't feel very good and they'll say i'm sorry i was just messing around i was just kidding man that takes a discipline to get to that point, to be able, I mean, that's, there's so many words I want to use to that. That's like a muscle to build up to. How did you get yourself to that point to be able to mirror in a way that is from your higher self versus, I mean, you could have responded back and be like, hey, fuck you, 
right? And you're saying that you didn't do that. So how did you build the muscle to operate from your higher self and reflect back to them essentially what, you know, what they're giving off and then then being able to realize like, oh shit, like, yeah, this is fucked up. Yeah, it's connected to what I said earlier. So passion also, you know, someone who's swole, you know, they spend a lot of time building muscles, you know, in order to have the energy to hit the weights like that, you got to have some passion. And so just when my life started to, to like not be what I wanted it to be, I developed a strong passion to be better. And so I found people that inspired me and all the people that inspired me, you know, they were functioning more from this higher place. And so I worked on building the muscle, you know, like anything, just lifting weights, recognizing what I wasn't and then saying, oh, even just the desire, ah, oh, I wish I could be more like that. Ah, oh, I wish I could be more like that. And then, of course, the universe would give opportunities for me to, to exhibit the changed behavior. And sometimes I would fall flat on my face, but I'd say, I'm a, it's like football, right? You watch the film, ah, oh, I missed that, missed that block, right? I missed that step. And you make the correction, right? It's like what I learned in football is you don't have to make the same mistake twice. Who were the people that inspired you? I mean, you bring it up a couple times now. Like, I'm curious, top three. First, I'd say my mom. I know it's kind of a cliche answer, but it's real. She's an okay. Aries. And so just the way she approached her life is like she didn't feel like there was any, there wasn't ever any obstacle that she couldn't overcome. And that inspired me to think if she could do it and she's my mom, then it means probably I can do it too. And I think the greatest lesson my mom taught me was if you do the crime, you know, do the time. She like not, you know, getting mad. She was like, as long as you take responsibility, then don't worry about it. And I think that was inspiring. It gave me the courage to believe in myself and trust myself that it's worth it. And again, I grew up in a very religious family. And so as a kid, Jesus, you know, sitting in Sunday school and listening to all the stories, I was like, that is a cool dude, you know, right? He believes in himself. He shares his truth. He heals people. He's kind. Oh. And then as I got older and got into football, Jim Brown. And Jim, because he was able to take his athletic ability and not let it rule his life, but he used it to accomplish the things that were important to him. And as I became an athlete, I was a huge mission of not to get lost in the identity of being a football player, but to realize the doors that it opens and the platform that it gives me to be able to bring more meaningful things to the world. Absolutely. I love this. So, I mean, your mom taught you accountability is what you're saying there, correct? I love that. That's huge, man. I mean, what's your advice for people to start taking charge of their life, right? I mean, th this is really what we're encapsulating in this conversation, especially when it comes to actually turning inward to do that work. I mean, we have to be, I mean, we have to take accountability at some point. We can't sit here and point the finger and say, mom and dad conditioned us to be this way. At some point it becomes our responsibility. We need to hold ourselves accountable if we want to have our, a better life. So what's your advice for people to start tapping into accountability? Well, you said it. The first thing is we have to eradicate blame. Like you have to completely remove Oh, 100% of blame out of your consciousness. That is the number one, the number one step. Because responsibility, like you said, people misconstrue what the word means. But if you look closely, it's in the word. Responsibility, the ability to respond. And if you're blaming someone else and it's their job to fix it, you've taken the ability to respond out of your own hands. The first step is, you know, and I would tell people actively, right? Make a list of all the things you blame other people for and see if you can convince yourself to take responsibility to see how you can do something about it. And if you can't, every week, right, come back to the list and see if you have, 
you know, a new way to look at it where you can take more responsibility for it. Absolutely, man. I want to go back to number two. You talked about Jesus, God. And this goes back to what we were talking about in the beginning of this conversation. You know, we were talking about our path, like the path that's laid out for each and every one of us. One of the conversations that I have often with my brothers is just how do we trust divine timing? Like, how do we trust this plan? At 17 years old, I got in God I trust tattooed across my chest, not necessarily for the meaning of it, but because I played basketball for a nationally ranked program and everyone had tattoos except me. That was what I thought of. I'm just curious, like, how do we trust this plan that God has laid out for us? Astrology. That's the simple answer because trust is built over time, you know, and it's a relationship. Trust always implies a relationship and we have a relationship to the universe. We have a relationship to the experiences that show up in our lives at specific timing. And if we have some tool or ability to make sense of these experiences and make that mental connection of how this is connected to what happened in the past and we start to see how this is connected to the future, then the trust becomes in our everyday experience. You know what's interesting? I appreciate this because I could tell that while you were brought up, you know, in a church in Sunday school learning about God and Jesus, it's very evident that your views on spirituality have expanded beyond that because for you to mesh astrology and Jesus in the same conversation, which is often I mean, I, I grew up Catholic, so under the the umbrella of Christianity, you know, we're, we're kind of taught not to believe in anything other than the Bible itself. So for you personally, like, where do they mesh? Like, where does God, Jesus, whomever, a greater power mesh with astrology or Great maybe question. anything else that could be belief-wise? Great question. To me, the easiest bridge or the easiest connection is between everything I learned from Christianity, meaning what I took in from the stories in the Bible, not the external commentary, but the actual teachings, you know, to me, the gospels, oh, reading the gospels is like, it's amazing. There's so many truths there. So what I learned from that is what prepared me for my astrological journey. Because you read in the Bible, and at least in the kind of church I grew up in, right? It was blind faith, blind faith. You just have to have faith, blind faith, blind faith, right? And so it got in. So I had blind faith, but faith in what? You know, and as I started to learn astrology, I started to see the actual playing out of all of the things that were in the Bible, right? All of the things we see, but it's it, we're expected to just believe and use some kind of superstition to make connections. When you start to learn astrology and you see that, oh, this, oh, this is what they are talking about. Oh, this is what they're talking about. It's you no know, people say the Bible, but another term for the Bible is the word of God, the word of God. You know, and when most people think of God, where do they look? Up, okay. All of the planets in astrology were named after Roman gods. Okay. And so this idea of there's cyclical nature of planets and the world, the universe moves in cycles. And once we can start to track those cycles, that's another version of the word of God. They're universal. They're universal. They've been, these cycles have been going on since the beginning of time, right? And if you track the cycles and you track the things in your life, you're going to see things line up and to see where, wow, something that's going on out there actually reflects in the experiences I have on a daily basis. Oh, that's the word of God. And when you talk about trust, once you have that experience, it's funny, there's so much superstition, the disbelief, right? I've had to see these correlations over and over again for over a decade before I would give myself permission to trust it. And now... 
You know, I spend most of my days trying to convey this awareness and this information to people and their minds are blown. Not one that I've spoken to whose mind wasn't blown as they just started to scratch the surface of seeing the correlation between what's going on in the cosmos and how it's showing up in the things that come up in people's lives. Absolutely. I've had a reading, an astrological reading by a very popular individual. I'm based in New York City. He's based on Long Island. It was interesting, but you need to know like your exact birthday to get your reading. Is that correct? I mean, yeah, it's, but if you think about it, it's a celebration of the moment and the place that you took your first breath. A simple way to, to connect to the astrological worldview, because it's not as alien as people think. The whole idea of seasons is actually an astrological phenomenon. You know, when someone says, I'm a cancer, what they're really saying is they were born the first month of summer. And even if you track the, the signs and you just track the weather, you'll see it's different. So Aries is the first month of spring, right? It's starting to get warmer. There's warmer days, right? It's still cold. You might even get snow, but there's still warmer days. You see the plants like sprouting up. The daffodils come usually in Aries season. So it's this warming up, okay? And then the next month is Taurus season. And in Taurus season, it's these beautiful days where everything is now green. The leaves are coming back. Ah, right? That there's a feel. There's a vibration in the world in each season. Halloween, ah, right? If you look at the holidays, the Day of the Dead, uh, Halloween, right? These are times when we're celebrating death, okay? We've been, before we had these names, right? We've been calling, we've been celebrating this for thousands of years, okay? Astrologically, that's Scorpio season, right? And if you know Scorpios, right, you can have more deeper, more serious conversations with them, right? They're least likely to, to shy away from having conversations about death. When it comes down to, uh, I'm, I'm curious to know if this is something you believe in, when it comes down from a, a relational perspective, do you believe our compatibility with other signs from an, you know, an astrology perspective, does that have much of an impact? So the way I'd say that is compatibility is an active process. Here's an example, okay? Is certain people like it easy. They love it easy, right? There's a challenge, they disappear, right? They can't deal with it. Certain people are the opposite. They hate when it's easy. If it's too easy, they create challenges, right? So, and you're not going to see that in someone's sign, you're not going to see that. So therefore, if you put two people that are in the conventional sense compatible and things are really easy, right? A person that doesn't like things being easy is going to be miserable. They're going to be bored, okay? Right? You put them in a relationship with someone who's different than they are and that back and forth, right? If they find a way to do it in a respectable way, that's a manifestation of compatibility. So I feel like we all, compatibility is we have to decide and this changes over time. Like sometimes... You know, I feel like I need to talk a lot. Sometimes I just need to shut up and chill, okay? So compatibility is dynamic, right? But if I know who I am and I know who this person is, then we both have a map to work towards greater and greater compatibility. So a chart is just a map. It's information about who you are. How you use that information, that falls on each individual. Each individual. I love that. Ricky, I only have you for a few more minutes. I'm going to ask you a question. This was actually something that was asked to me on the show by a gentleman that works for the Seahawks, Dr. Michael Gervais. Random question. I mean, you've given us a ton already, but if I knew what Ricky knows, how would my life be different? You wouldn't perceive so much darkness or limitations. You would start to see everything as a possibility. Because when we don't know what something is, right, typically we just make up what it is. And for me, what I know, if I don't see something, I don't see what something is, or I'm not sure what it is, I work to figure out to see what it is. And as soon as you work to see what something is, just that thought form automatically brings light. As soon as we decide we can't know, or we don't know, or it's impossible, we bring darkness. 
And so for me, I live in a sense of possibility. It doesn't mean I live in the clouds. It means I live always with part of my mind asking the question of what's possible here? What's possible here? What's possible here? Do we have to figure everything out? Like, how do we know what we need to figure out and what we just need to surrender to? How do we distinguish the two differences there? Well, I think part of figuring out, in order to figure something out, we have to surrender to the mystery. Surrender doesn't mean give up. It means I take a step back and I try to see the bigger picture. Where some people are just assume that it's not possible to know. It's not possible to see the big picture. And then they just quit. You know, all the air goes out. So it comes from a, the realization that we live in a two-dimensional reality. There's the outer and there's the inner. And they're always both there. Every light has a dark. And the light is what we can see. The dark is where we have to let go so that we can see. Because the need to know, right, forces us to put everything in a box. And when we realize there's certain things that we don't know, not that we can't know, that we don't know, and we open that space, call it curiosity, call it beginner's mind, right? We open that space, we let go, we surrender to having the answer, then we create the space for the new awareness to come in. That's huge when you create that space. That's so important. I'm going to pause us here for a quick second. Being that I only have you for a few more minutes, I want to let everyone know that websites, socials, all of that good stuff, projects will be in the show notes. But talk to us about Heisman really quickly, just so we could get the word out there. And uh, I'll make sure that's in the show notes as well. Yeah, a lot of people talk about a brand and they put on this, like they do this song and this dance to create their branding, you know, and we had to do that because we had to create a logo and all that stuff. But the whole process for me the whole time is this has to be authentic. We're not trying to trick someone into thinking we're cool to buy our product. Is we're putting something out there that people will either resonate with or they won't. And so the deeper mission behind Heisman is be yourself. Is be yourself, you know? And in my journey, you know, you're not going to find yourself by just going outward. In order to find who you truly are, you have to go inward. And in my journey, cannabis was a wonderful tool in facilitating that process of me going inward. Now, at the end of the day, I'd come home from practice and I'd smoke a little bit. And it's like all of the external experiences were allowed to be rearranged and me to, to get a sense of how did they feel to me, right? And based off of how they feel, how would I like to be different? How would I like to change? And, you know, after my experiences with cannabis during, I should say, then I found meditation. And when I found meditation, you know, yoga, I'd sit and I'd be like, oh, this is the same thing that I do when I smoke. And I started to make that connection. And so if we don't spend time and energy inward and getting in touch with what's real for us inside, we're going to be lost. And so, and the other part, I know our tagline for Heisman is spark greatness. And it's the same message is that greatness doesn't come from outside. It comes from finding it on the inside and then expressing it outwardly. But the first thing you have to do is find it on the inside. And what I'm saying is cannabis is a great facilitator for that process. Absolutely, man. When was the first time you smoked weed or cannabis, I should say? First time was in high school and I grew up in San Diego. And it was funny. It was the smartest kid in class, Ben Cotton, smartest kid in class. And I was a huge Bob Marley fan, huge Bob Marley fan, but I wasn't a smoker. And so, but everyone assumed, everyone assumed that I was. And so, you know, we came because we had open lunch. So we said at lunch, do you want to go to my house and smoke a bong? And I kind of felt peer pressure where everyone assumes that I do. So I was like, sure. Sure. So fits the narrative. His sister, exactly. His sister had this big old bong. And of course, I tried to play it off like I'd done it before. I took a hit and coughed my lungs out. And I had physics. <laughs> I had physics right after that. And I remember sitting in physics class like, 
daydreaming, wishing I was somewhere else. I didn't have a negative experience, but I wouldn't necessarily call it a positive experience. It was kind of neutral. And it wasn't until several years later like when I got to college and some of the guys on the team on Fridays would shoot dice and smoke. And I was just trying to hang out with the upperclassmen. So I'd hang out with them and smoke a little bit. And then I could experience the social grease, you know, hanging out with the guys, connecting with the guys. But the more profound effects of cannabis didn't come to my senior year in college. And I was just going through it. I was having, you know, I broke up with my girlfriend. I was struggling. Came back from to win the Heisman Trophy my senior year. I had a couple bad games. And so I was just really down on myself. And my roommate at the time was a smoker. So he said, here, you know, he slid the bong over and I took one hit. I remember going upstairs. I had a loft upstairs and I went upstairs and I laid down and I started thinking about the girlfriend, the ex. I started thinking about the bad games, you know, and I started to lift. And then when it lifted, I started imagining what I could do to, to improve, what I could work on in practice. And I started to visualize things getting better. Next two games, I had back-to-back 300-yard rushing games, and I was back from the top of the Heisman front-runner list. And the rest is history. And so that moment where I realized this really helped me connect to something and like shed something that was a burden, that's when it became a valuable tool in my toolbox. Absolutely, man. I appreciate you sharing those stories. I mean, very different from my first time smoking weed. The first time I smoked weed, my dealer got mad at me because I told him I didn't get high. I didn't know how to smoke properly. I was uh, smoking it like it was a cigar, just like keeping it in the mouth, not inhaling into the lungs. So I got myself into some deep water with that. But I appreciate those stories, man. One of the things I've been doing to end the podcast is asking a past guest to forward a question on to our next guest without knowing who's the next guest. So we just got a question the other day from our past guest, and it's an interesting one. I mean, I've never asked this question before on the show, so I'm really curious what your reply is. But he said, if you had one night left to live, what would be your last meal and why? Mm, I'd have um, what we call mommy tacos. What's that? So I grew up in San Diego. My mom, she just made tacos. She loved to make tacos. We started calling them mommy tacos because there's something special about my mom's tacos. And okay. <laughs> because they take me back to when I was a kid and a pleasurable experience. And a lot of times when my mom would come in town or come over and we were celebrating, the tacos would always reappear. And so it's a good way to, because I say at the end of our life, our whole life flashes in front of us. And it would be a good tool to help remember, you know, and connect to important moments in my life. I love that, man. That's dope. That's a beautiful thing. It leads me to ask you, have you ever listened to Mike Tyson talk about the experiences he's had with his psychedelics where essentially you see your entire life? I've never done this, but have you ever heard him talk about that? I haven't, no. Yeah. I mean, that literally popped up in my mind. I've heard him talk about it numerous times. I I think it's called the toad. I don't feel called to that yet, so I I haven't dabbled, but my mind literally went right there when you just just had mentioned that. But some interesting talks. So if you you want to check that out. It's pretty cool. He talks about it all the time on his podcast. But the next part of the question that I have to put out here is now that you answered that question, what's a question that you'll ask our next guest without knowing who they are? Who's your favorite elder and why? Who is your favorite and when elder? When I say elder, yeah, I say elder because it's an image of a person who's older that has done something or for some reason we have this sense of reverence and respect towards them. Is can your can answer to that question? Like, can I... Sh- yeah, yeah, a hundred percent. Yeah, answer to my question. Answer to my question is my is my grandmother, Big Mama. You know, okay. And she and was a, that? she was like a she was like a saint. You know, she was like a saint. She adopted my mom and my mom's brother and sister when my grandma died. My mom's mom died when my mom was like two, and she adopted them and raised them from the time they were kids until they were adults. 
And even when I came around, it's like she had this aura around her of she just was like had a huge heart and was a just a beautiful, good person, you know. And the reason I ask is because I have a two-year-old, you know, and one of my mentors, my favorite elder now, you know, one of my mentors, his name is Steve, you know, and so my son, you know, loves Steve, you know. And I noticed that kids at a young age, that this archetype or this image of the elder, it sets in at a very young age. And the implications it has is it actually puts us on a trajectory to become an elder ourselves. And it's something we tend not to think about when we're young is that we will be older one day. And because we don't think about it, we don't think of how would we like to be when we're older, but it's a very useful question because it'll set us, just that consciousness will set us on a path moving in that direction. And without even realizing, someone asked me that question and I thought of Big Mama and I realized what I'm doing in life is I'm unconsciously on the path to becoming something similar to what she represented for me. And so my son was flipping through a book, like a what, children's book, and there was an old guy in the book. And when my son saw the old guy, he said, Steve, Steve, Steve. And so I realized <laughs> my, my son has this image. He has this image of all old people, but it's mapped on to this one person. And so it, it made me think that this image of who we become as an older person, it actually sets in really early in life. And if we can bring some consciousness to it, we can enjoy that process and we can aim it more consciously. I love that. I feel like I did something similar, not necessarily to the extent of identifying an elder to to look at and to essentially build a map toward, but I wrote my obituary. I used to work with Damon John from Shark Tank, the founder of FUBU, and he always talked about that. And I'm like, dude, that's like a scary freaking thing. Like, this is my first job out of college. I'm working with him and he's, I'm fucking 20 something years old. He's talking about writing your obituary. I'm like, dude, I'm trying to be here many, many more years. Like, I'm not even trying to think about that. But it's a way to reverse engineer your life, you know? So yes, 100%, um, 100%. Yeah. Yeah. Well, but the thing I, is, I it's all, my, the point I'm trying to, the point I'm trying to make is it's already, it's the obituary in our unconscious is already written for us. And if we don't pay some con, like if we don't pay some attention to it, it'll just play out the way it's already been written because it's written at a very young age. And if we don't revisit that and put more of our more current interest and passions into that image, you know, and I think we, we yeah, use a valuable opportunity. We go on autopilot. That's exactly what happens to so many of us. We just go on autopilot. That's what it is, man. Ricky, I'm going to ask you one last question. I have you for one minute here. I'm going to try and squeeze this out of you to respect your time. You live to whatever year you want to live to. You accomplish all the things you want to accomplish. You know, Heisman reaches all of the heights you want it to reach. You impact all of the people, but you can only be remembered for one piece of advice. Now you've given us a ton of advice today. Um, what I'm getting at here is if I think of Ricky, this piece of advice pops up in my mind. What is that advice? It's so simple, right? It's so simple. Live like the journey doesn't ever end. I love Because I think so many people, they, they, become a, they become afraid of taking a chance because something will end or something will go wrong. But if we realize that, as Michael Jordan says, he's having a bad night, just keep shooting, you know? And if we live like the journey yeah. is going to keep going, right? It does not going to end. It's like imagine a football game, right? Even if you're down 80 nothing, but you know the game doesn't ever end, you're going to keep trying. You're going to keep trying to come back. You're going to keep trying to come back, right? So, because, <laughs> you know, what science tells us is the universe is constantly expanding, constantly expanding, right? And what they tell us is a ray, a photon, a ray from the sun, it continues infinitely. Okay, so why would we think that we're any different? 
beautiful perspective, brother. I appreciate it. Ricky, this was fantastic, man. I mean, I could ask you a million and one more questions, but this was beautiful. Like part two in, in the works, man. I, I want to express gratitude. So I'm going to say thank you for adding the value here to our incredible community of podcast listeners. And thank you for everything you're doing in this world, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. I think you're a wonderful messenger and I appreciate the thoughtful questions. I appreciate that. You have just tuned into episode number 292 of the Decoding Success podcast featuring the legendary Ricky Williams. With that being said, you're still tuned in, you're still tapped into this episode, which means I could safely assume you found this to be a value. So again, I'm going to bring up that call to action to share this episode, make an impact alongside Ricky and I by amplifying these words further than they have already reached, simply by posting it on your Instagram story, sharing it on Twitter, putting it in a group chat via text message or even speaking about it while you're at work or with friends or wherever. Amplify this, share this, that's the call to action. You can check out Ricky in the show notes of this episode, as always, where you're going to be able to find his socials, his websites, his brands, what he has going on. Check him out in the show notes of this episode. New episode every single Wednesday, and I'm going to put this out there. We're going to be releasing two episodes a week, going back to that formula in just a couple of weeks. So be on the lookout for that. If you aren't subscribed, you might want to get notified every time these drop by clicking the subscribe button or the follow button, whatever it looks like these days. I can't even tell you. But on that note, every single Wednesday, we are dropping an episode and soon to be two times per week. Until next time, everyone, be blessed. Peace.